The scripture reading today is from Mark 14, 66 through 72. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. Just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them, but Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them because you are a Galilean. Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you are talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' word flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Many of you know that uh, this past Tuesday, Deanna and I returned from a trip to Greece uh, to see our son Nick, who is over there studying and teaching for at least one year with the option of two. We're hoping he'll come back, but we'll see. How many of y'all have ever heard of name day in Greece? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Big thing in the country of Greece. In the Greek Orthodox tradition, nearly every day of the year is dedicated to one of the Christian saints or martyrs. So when someone is in Greece and they happen to be named after one of these saints, that saint's celebration becomes their name day, and it's really bigger than your birthday in Greece. It's a big, big deal. It's celebrated like an actual birthday, but it's even bigger. Well, my son happens to have a rather Greek name, Nicholas, and I found out that Nick's name day is uh, December 6th. You have St. Nicholas Day. And so December 6th is when Nick will celebrate his name day. Now, I know for a fact that Peter's actual name day is December, excuse me, June 29th. However, I would not have a certain date, but a certain observance of the year, a certain day of the year that we remember that for me would be Peter's name day, and that would be Monday, Thursday. It'd be the Thursday before Easter this week, coming up soon. Why? Because that is the night that he denied Jesus, said that he didn't know him, swore that he did not know him, and then the rooster crows, and you know the rest. He knew what he had done, and he was weighed down by the weight of guilt. Let me ask you, have you ever found yourself literally feeling weighed down by guilt in a visceral fashion based on something you did or didn't do something you said, a way that you were unkind, a way that you let someone down, something you did that you knew at the time was wrong and know all the more now how wrong it was? Well, for Peter, it was his denial of Jesus That was a major event of the weight of guilt, but really, the truth is, Peter made a bunch of denials during that Passion Week, but did not really realize the culmination of all of those until later, probably when the rooster crowed. And it reminds you and me that often we're burdened by multiple layers of guilt that sometimes really come to a head and can affect us. And it could be because of one regret from a long time ago that we still feel guilty about. It could be a multiplicity of things that are still weighing upon us, burdening us. But I want us to look at the layers of this burden of guilt that Peter is carrying after the rooster has crowed. 
Because no doubt you and I can relate to at least, at least one or two of these. Really, for Peter, it amounts to a series of untruths he uttered and failed at all of them. Sometimes, less like us, Peter was carrying layers of guilt. And you're welcome, if you like, to look at the outline in your bulletin as we follow along, or you'll see it also up here on the screen. But as far as the layers of guilt, what was one statement he makes for which he had guilt? Well, first of all, I will not deny you in front of others. I will not deny you in front of others. Look in Matthew 26, verses 31a, 33. Jesus told them, tonight, all of you will desert me. This is that evening of the meal. But later on, Peter declares what? Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Have you ever been in a situation where you could have spoken up for Jesus, but you backed down? You might have done it by simply keeping silent. You might have done it by deflecting it. We're really good at that, and in some wordsmithy way, you kind of move a conversation in a different direction, so you don't have to tell people where you stand on this particular matter. And how regretful when that stand could have been taken and could have brought someone to some kind of perhaps even a saving knowledge of Jesus or at least turning their life around a little bit, thinking about something in a new and more loving way. Can you think of a time when that happened in your life? Well, Peter certainly did. But that's just one layer of guilt he recognized when the rooster crowed. Secondly, I will not say no to you. I will not say no to you. Look at John chapter 13, verses 7 through 9. This is when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, and he moves towards Peter. And it says, Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. And Peter says, no. He tells Jesus, no. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus, and this is where Peter does a quick switch. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Simon Peter exclaimed, oh, then wash my hands and my feet as well, Lord, not just my feet. Uh, Nevertheless, at the beginning of this exchange, he actually said no to Jesus. And then he backpedals, as we often do. Think of how arrogant that would be for Peter to say to Jesus, no, to give a direct forbiddance. And it's a strong double negative, literally, in the Greek. It says, you shall by no means wash my feet. No, never. Peter meant it, saying no to his Lord himself. How arrogant that can be. But let's ask ourselves, friends, how often have we done that? Is there a time when you knew that Jesus wanted you to do something, or he wanted to do something with you? Not washing of feet, maybe, but to accept a new challenge, or to go and reach out to someone, or to forgive someone, or to give more of yourself in some way, perhaps engage in a mission opportunity, and you boldly said no. You said no. Take a stand for him in some way, but no, you said no. Well, eventually Peter recognized the arrogance of saying no right to Jesus, but how many times have you and I done that? Well, there we have another layer of guilt, but the layers of guilt continue for Peter. What else did he say during Passion Week? Thirdly, I will not stumble as badly as others do. (laughs) Way to throw everybody else under the bus, Peter. Look at Mark 14, 29. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. 
We still fall prey to comparing our righteousness to that of others. Others for whom it might be easy for us to compare our righteousness, our righteousness because of how we perceive them and perhaps how others see them. And basically, Peter does throw his other disciples under the bus. You know, they might do that, but I won't, not me. He's basically saying, I'm better than them. I'm more spiritual than them. I'm more righteous than they are. You know, this is exactly why John Wesley, the great leader of the Methodist Church, said once a week, at least once a week, every Christian needs to ask himself or herself this question, quote, do I thank God that I am not as other people, especially as the Pharisee who despised the publican? We should ask ourselves that at least once a week. Well, this adds incredible weight to Peter's guilt, but what about you and me? Have we ever been almost so proud of our own walk with Jesus, so at peace with it, so comfortable with it, so at ease in Zion, so to speak, (laughs) and then you get to that point where you really mess up royally in the incongruity of that which you perceived as such righteousness and then how you acted in such a base manner over here or how you thought or this attitude you had, and you realize, again, your depravity. How could I have been so stupid if I'd have known then what I know now? How could I have been so cruel to that person? How could I have been so unfaithful to that person? Yet another layer of guilt for Peter, maybe for you and me as well. Another layer for Peter. I will not become lax. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus says, you got to stay awake with me. But you know what happens. Go to Mark 14, 37. Then he returned, Jesus returned, and found the disciples asleep. This is after he was agonizing in Gethsemane. He returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? He's not there for Jesus at his most agonizing moment prior to his arrest and trial and crucifixion. How often has Jesus said to you or me, hey, I really need you right now. I need you this hour. I need you for for this task. I need you to give of yourself. I need you to stop sinning in this way. I need you to treat that person more kindly. I need you to stop slandering. I need you to stop gossiping. I need you to stop creating division. I need you. But you've kind of plopped yourself down into a spiritual slumber, you know? And our faith is stagnant and unmoved. We're in a spiritual rut. You know, how often, like Peter, have we been talking the talk, but when Jesus really tells us, this is when I need you to take action, we sit down and kind of lull ourselves into a spiritual coma, kind of deafen ourselves to his call, deaden ourselves to the life he's called us to. Another layer of guilt. Can I just preface, it does get better, y'all, but still, we got the guilt going on. Number five, I will not overreact. Study all four Gospels. Uh, You'll see that Peter had this propensity to act impulsively, to react and overreact impulsively. You remember he rebuked Jesus after Jesus first predicted his imminent suffering and death. Rebuked Jesus. It was Peter who, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when they saw that great miracle, he said, no, Jesus, let's not go back down to the people. Let's just build tents here. Make accommodations for us. And I could go on, but let's go to this. He strikes out at a man with a sword when they try to arrest Jesus. And look at what Jesus says in Luke 22. 
And one of them struck at the high priest's slave. Now that's the Luke account. The other accounts indicate that it's Peter. Slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Probably the physician, the beloved physician Luke, made sure that the healing aspect was brought in there. Well, sometimes Peter meant well, but not always. But too often he would overreact. But do you and I ever overreact in ways that we wind up regretting? Overreacting, gosh, it could be anger or with self-righteousness or with some unkind action. You overreact with a friend or an employee or a colleague or a student, a neighbor, and maybe most painfully with a family member. You know, for all his self-confidence and bluster, all that came to a screeching halt when Peter realized what he had done. What did he declare so confidently to Jesus after he said that someone would deny him? Do you remember that? Well, that gets to the sixth one. I will not deny you. Jesus says, someone's going to deny me. Oh, not me. But look at what happened. Peter denies him twice. And then look, Peter swore. What does he say? A curse on me if I'm lying. I mean, he could not be repudiating his Lord and Savior anymore with any more repudiation tapped language. A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. It dawns on him, (laughs) the seriousness of what he has done. And no one else standing around probably knew what he had just done, but he certainly did. They didn't realize the gravity of it, but Peter certainly did. In a sense, it was a secret sin, and you and I have those along the way. So often we're weighed down by those sins that we want to keep secret, which reminds me of an article I read last May. Last May in a science magazine, Columbia University had done this scientific study rather in-depth, and they found that the average person is holding on to 13 secrets, five of which they've never told a living soul. That might apply to you, it might not. But the average person, and it's not the secret itself that will haunt you, it's all the mental energy you spend thinking about it. That's what they said. It's all the time thinking about it that really gets to you. The research showed that some people actually feel physically heavier when they're burdened with a guilty secret, and that extra weight can skew how you navigate your surroundings. I found this interesting, I won't go in depth, but they said when participants were asked to judge the slope of a hill or the length of a distance, those who were preoccupied with their guilty secrets judged the hills as steeper and the distances longer than they really were. Isn't that interesting? And I think that's figuratively very telling. Dr. Michael Sleepian, who was the head professor at Columbia on this study, said, we found that when people are thinking about their guilty secrets, they actually acted as if they were burdened by physical weight. And he said that they studied over 13,000 types of secrets, and he said the most common ones that people struggled with were having told a lie, harming someone, drug use, theft, violating someone's trust, sexual infidelity, or a secret hobby or habit. And the secrets were far more likely to come to the fore when people were alone with their thoughts. What they found was people didn't try to conceal them so much when they were with other people, And they didn't think about them so much then, but when they were alone with their own thoughts 
away from social situations, that's when these burdens of guilt really weighed them down. In other words, we spend all this energy, mental energy, mulling over our secrets on our own time, and it becomes a terrible weight. Guilt can weigh us down when we're all by ourselves. And the bottom line here is that secret guilt can weigh us down. David put it well in Psalm 38, 4, where he says very simply, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. You've probably been there before. Well, the guilt of Peter's secret was definitely weighing him down. Okay, so I've probably weighed you down a good bit right now, but now we get to the good news, which is whatever guilt you are carrying, claim these four prayers of Jesus that are just for you. I hadn't really thought about these before, but, but let me offer these four prayers of forgiveness that Jesus does very specifically. First of all, and, and best known, would be the prayer of forgiveness. This is Jesus, yes, on the cross, Luke 23, 34. Jesus' most poignant prayer, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. They've already been forgiven. We've already been forgiven. But have you embraced that forgiveness for yourself as of late? Again, I've talked about this so many times. There's that tragic irony where we so badly want to share the grace of Jesus with other people, but sometimes the bane for us is it's difficult for us to embrace that grace for ourselves and forgive ourselves. And that's exactly what he wants for you. Just this past Wednesday evening, Fisher Humphreys doing his wonderful study on the atoning work of Jesus. He talked about the prodigal son and the role of forgiveness. And you remember he asked the question, when had the father forgiven the son? Well, he already had. As he's out on the front porch waiting there for his son to come back, he didn't even wait for the son to come back and confess. He had already forgiven him. How do we know that? Because as soon as he sees him, he goes out and hugs him and kisses him, really letting him know he's already been forgiven. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you. He's waiting for you to let him remind you that you have been forgiven and that you need to let go of that burden of guilt. That's his prayer of forgiveness. Forgive them, they know not what they do. Already been forgiven. But make yourself open to it. Secondly, the prayer of faith. And and sometimes, um, I'll still have folks say, I don't don't even remember this in, in this passage where he talks about denial. Just before Jesus tells Peter that before the rooster crows three times, listen to what Jesus says to Peter, Luke 22, 31 and 32. This is just before he says, you're going to deny me. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked you to sift, has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you. Some translations just say, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented, I mean, he's presupposing Simon's going to mess up royally. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. After you have failed at that terrible time, turn to me again and be an example for the brothers who are still mired in their own guilt and lack of forgiveness. And try not to fail so much, and you'll be on the road toward not failing so much. After you repent, strengthen the other people with the story of redemption which is i'm convinced you know peter's denial of jesus is in all four gospels there, there it's it's rare the the snippets of narrative that appear in all four gospels peter's denial appears in every one of them and i think that's significant why what was the earliest gospel written mark 
Who was Mark's best friend who was considered a father figure to him? Peter. Study the early church fathers. They didn't even call the Gospel of Mark the Gospel of Mark. You know what they called it? The Memoirs of Peter. Isn't that interesting? Peter was his primary source. Therefore, Peter, of all people, could have kind of shoved that story to the side. Maybe glossed it up, gussied it up a little bit, but he didn't. He said, here's the truth. I think it's highly significant, and I think that's why it's in all four Gospels. Peter was careful to note that that got in there. Because he realized what it meant to be delivered from that weight of guilt and how it could help others as well. The prayer of faith. Pray that others won't fail as you have. But if you do, strengthen them after you've received and made yourself open to redemption. And Jesus made sure that Peter was aware of this grace. Why? Well, you get to the prayer of feeding. John 21. Now, I'm going to go on and tell you this isn't a prayer, so to speak. It's really more of a command, but I think this is the beginning of the answer to Jesus' prayer for Peter that we were just talking about. You remember the three times after Jesus has risen, he looks at Peter and says what? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Three times. No doubt what Jesus is doing is restoring Peter from the three times that he let Jesus down so terribly when he denied him. Why is, he, why is Jesus doing this? Because he needs Peter. He's saying, come on, get up off your duff and let's go do some stuff and, and be witnesses for me. Jesus needs and wants us. He doesn't want us miring ourselves in this guilt from past things. That is not at all what he wants. It's time to get up and move. And get out of this this miasma, this fog of guilt. He does not desire that for you at all. And finally, the prayer of filling. And I love this. This is in uh, John 17 when Jesus prays that beautiful prayer for his disciples and for his church. And he prays ultimately that we would be filled with the joy that he has. He says what? Father, he's talking to his father. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy jesus wants every one of us to be filled with the joy that he knows of that he experiences think of jesus in heaven right now and think of the joy that he experiences there now think of the joy that he anticipates when one day all things will be made well and right and just and without pain without suffering without poverty and that's his joy And it's the joy that he has that he wants for you. And in order to have that, we've got to let go of the guilt. We've just got to get rid of it. You know, since 2006 in Times Square in New York City, there's the Times Square Alliance. And they've organized this thing every year called Good Riddance Day. Anybody ever heard of this? It's Good Riddance Day. And participants write down unpleasant or painful or embarrassing, hurtful memories from the past year and throw them into industrial size strength shredder. Those are some of the ones that are written there. There's the uh, can that gets it up to the shredder right there. Or if you prefer, you can also take a sledgehammer and smash your good riddance item like a cell phone, a computer, whatever else it might be. True story. Do this every year in December. And the fellow who started this said, this is a chance for folks to let go of whatever it is that is dragging them down. They can detox from what is burdening them. 
Gosh, that's exactly what Jesus wants you to do when it comes to your guilt. Get over it, smash it, shred it, and embrace his grace. Jesus is risen, and he tells the women, go tell everyone and Peter. (laughs) Do you remember that? Even Peter, who really loused it all up, even Peter, tell him I'm alive. And isn't it great that the last words we know from Peter himself It's one of my favorite verses. It's the very end of 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3.18. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All glory to him both now and forever. Amen. Grow in what? Grow in what? Grow in grace. In order to grow in it, you've got to embrace it for yourself. Get rid of that burden of guilt that you're carrying right now and grow in his grace. Let's pray together. May we heed his final words, oh God. Some of us in here are carrying burdens that others don't know about. It's easy for us to hold secrets, but it's hard to bear them. And we pray that whoever needs to lift up whatever it is they're struggling with, may they lift it up to you now, whether it's a secret sin or or something they regret, something that they said to someone, how they might have let someone down. Um, how a relationship just did not go or is not going as it should, whatever it might be, oh God, please let them lift that now. And I, you know, I want to just invite you to a silent moment of lifting whatever it is burdening you right now. In silent prayer just between you and Jesus, will you lift that up to him now? Lord, more than anyone, (laughs) you know that we are a broken, broken people. And yet by your son Jesus' death, we are made whole. And even as he was hanging there in the worst of agony, he forgave us, prayed forgiveness for us. Help us to embrace that even in the deep, dark corners of our souls that we don't like to think about, that we don't like to share. We don't want to go there because of the pain and the weight that it brings to us. And yet, may the light of your grace shine even there, that we might walk in newness of life, because indeed you did pay it all for us out of your love for us. And we give you thanks for that. Amen.